Welcome to the State of Utah, presented by Silicon Slopes Commons. My name is Clint Betts. On today's show, we talk to Salt Lake Tribune cartoonist Pat Bagley. We talk to Utah County Commissioner Tanner Ainge. And finally, we talk to Congressman Ben McAdams, who is running for re-election against Burgess Owens in the 4th Congressional District in Utah. We will start with Pat Bagley. Pat, thank you so much for coming on today's show. You've had an interesting past month or so. Uh, you drew a cartoon that was published in the Salt Lake Tribune that depicted a law enforcement officer going into the doctor. Um, the doctor give, uh, is, is showing him an x-ray in which inside of the officer who's in that office, um, he has like a hood. It's like shows him as though he's a member of the KKK. Um, and uh, on the back of his jacket, it said uh, law enforcement. And, um, you know, the response to that was was quite extraordinary, actually. Um, uh, I think from both sides of, of um, you know, the political debate. I mean, there were a lot of people I saw who were uh, fierce uh, advocates for what you drew um, mm-hmm. and, and fierce defenders. And, and then obviously there were a lot of uh, detractors that even led to a protest of the Salt Lake Tribune's uh, printing place, um, yeah. I, I believe. Um, were you, I, I can't imagine you were too surprised by the reaction you received to that cartoon, were you? Yeah, I, well, I was. <clears throat> because when I did the cartoon, well, first of all, when I do a cartoon, I have to think, you know, what do I want to comment on? And in this case, I was commenting on um, uh, white supremacy infiltrating law enforcement, which is just a fact. Uh, it, it's been happening. So I thought, I want to come in on that. Then I thought, what do I want to say? And I wanted to say, you know, this is a problem for law enforcement, you know, pretty simple. Um, but I wanted to avoid painting all policemen with the same brush, tarring all police with the same brush. And so I thought, how do I accomplish this? And I make white supremacy something that is apart from the police. It's something that is afflicting the police. It's kind of like a disease, right? I mean, if you get COVID, you're not COVID, you just have it and you want to get rid of it. And so that was the idea behind the cartoon is that this policeman finds out and he's a little shocked that, that you know, this is an issue with him. And, you know, once it's diagnosed, then he can do something about it. And so that was what I was hoping to get across. Uh, a lot of the criticism said that the cartoon was painting all police as racists. And that's absolutely not what the cartoon says. Can you see how some may have interpreted it that way or you don't think that's valid at all? Well, (laughs) I mean, most people um, took the cartoon as I intended it, but a lot of people um, reacted, like you say, you know, very, uh, 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 oh, it was visceral, the, the way they reacted. And I think the reason for that is that police feel incredibly uh, under siege. Um, They feel uh, under the microscope and putting the image of the hood in a cartoon with police. um, I think that the reaction was visceral. Um, But if you actually look at the cartoon, you know, like, like I've explained it, it's it's a disease. It's not the police. It's something that, that is afflicting policing. Yeah, I can see, I can see the way, uh, as, as you explain it, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, you know, having law enforcement on the back of the jacket, maybe instead of like Officer Bob, and what, and what am I doing telling, you know, uh, <laughs> pr- uh, prize winning cartoonists how to do um, his, his job. And, and I also think your job is to provoke conversations. I don't know if you agree with that, but it, it kind of is to, um, in, in some way, get some sort of reaction. Do you view well, your you job know, when, that way? Well, when, when, I, when I did the cartoon, when I do any cartoon, I have to be able to defend it. I have to think ahead and think, you know, what do I say if somebody comes back at me? And, um, you know, and you're, you're saying that if I took off the words law enforcement off the back of the policeman, uh, the reaction might have been different. And, you know, I've thought about that. And that's possibly uh, a valid point. Um, but then I, <laughs> well, then it'd be able because I had and not, and not to interrupt that, but I had the lieutenant governor on uh, the show um, last week and I asked him about your cartoon 
And he said, um, your intention was clear to him that you were intentionally uh, painting all law enforcement as members of the KKK and white supremacists. He called you an idiot, I believe, um, and, and said that you should apologize and that you haven't. Um, and so that's why, and I think his, his main point was around um, the law enforcement being on the back rather than just like Officer Bob or something like that. Well, Spencer Cox is deliberately misinterpreting the cartoon. Um, he, he just wants to take a swipe at me. And so it's easy to say, look at this cartoon. I mean, if, you, if, if somebody presents you the cartoon and says, look at this cartoon that is calling all policemen racists, you know, you're predisposed already to see something in there that's, that's probably not. Um, and I think he's just misinterpreting the cartoon. And I think it's deliberate. Yeah, um, I should have a full disclosure here. I'm on the Tribune. The Tribune's now a 501c3 nonprofit. I'm one of the board of directors. This issue and this cartoon actually uh, reached the board. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and like, hey, did everybody notice it? Not that we would do anything because the board, you know, doesn't get involved in, in uh, the content and what's published on the Salt Lake Tribune. But, you know, a sense of like, should we respond here? Um, what is our role here? It actually produced a lot of interesting conversations on the role of the local newspaper, uh, what a newspaper should look like in 2020 that extended it well beyond even, even your cartoon, which, which I found really fascinating. But my response to the cartoon itself as a board member of the Salt Lake Tribune is this is what Pat does. Mm -hmm. This is the Salt Lake Tribune, and it, it seems to me, and again, I would love your sense on this, and, you know, not even thinking about this particular cartoon, but as a cartoonist, um, do you view your role to spark conversations and debates like the one that that one sparked? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, a cartoon is supposed to uh, inform, uh, it's supposed to educate, um, you know, low down on the list is it's supposed to entertain, uh, but I also try to persuade people to you know, see things my way. So that, that's what a cartoon does. But educating people uh, about issues is, is one, one thing that cart cartoon can do. Do you worry, and, and I've had this discussion uh, a lot too as a, as a member of the board and even just as a, as a Utah uh, following your cartoon, do you worry that um, it will be easy for people in power like Spencer Cox, for example, uh, uh, who, uh, you know, is, is likely to be our next governor. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, to dismiss the Tribune's reporting on police issues um, in the future, given this cartoon. Do you, hear, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, there are some who don't separate Pat Bagley and the opinion section from mm -hmm. the institution of the Salt Lake Tribune. How do you well, respond to that? So if he wants to paint me as somebody who doesn't like cops, who's against cops, uh, that's absolutely not, not the case. Um, I, I've got several cartoons that I've done where I've honored uh, police for their actions. Um, there was Josie Fox who was murdered during a traffic stop out by Delta, and I did a cartoon um, honoring her sacrifice uh, during the Boston bombing. I did another cartoon looking at the police as people who are running towards the danger. Um, so, you know, if he wants to paint me as somebody who's anti-cop, then it's not going to fly. Well, honestly, Pat, I'm less concerned about how he paints you because you, you can defend yourself, right? And uh, you can, um, you have an audience. In fact, I, I view you and Peggy as like the institution that is the Salt Lake Tribune. In, in a lot of ways and there, there are other people inside of there that I'm missing but but uh, you are the Salt Lake Tribune in a lot of ways and so I'm, I'm I'm less concerned on how you're painted although I'm sure I can see how you could be concerned and I'm more concerned about how the Salt Lake Tribune could be painted and how this might allow like um, law enforcement and other folks in the future to paint the coverage as tainted because, well, look, this is what Pat Bagley drew. Of course, the, uh, this story and all the facts could be exactly right, as I assume they would be in, this, in a Salt Lake Tribune story. But they could say, yeah, this is, you know, they have a slant. They have a bias here. Look at what Pat Bagley drew. Do you, do you have any concern well, about that? Well, people have to understand that there's a difference between what I do, which is commentary. Um, you know, I'm paid to have an opinion. <clears throat> and I put it out there, and the news side of things. Um, and, you know, I've been working with reporters for over 40 years. And they are people that have uh, a lot of integrity. Um, 
If they get something wrong, they could be fired. If they make up something, they will be fired. Uh, so I think people need to be educated about what the news media is really all about. Um, and we've got a president who is misinforming a, a huge swath of the American public. Um, but again, my experience with news people, the newsroom, specifically reporters at the Salt Lake Tribune, is that they're great at their job. And they don't make things up. Um, they're excellent reporters. Yeah, absolutely. But but can you can you understand what I'm kind of kind of what I'm pointing towards here is um, I, I I believe there are a large swath of folks who don't understand the difference between you and reporters. And, well, that's and how, I mean, no no question. And there are people who should know better who don't understand the difference. And are the difference and they intentionally uh, conflate the two? Correct. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. so how do you, how do you combat that? <laughs> well, you just tell the truth. Um, oh, George Orwell said, in a time of misinformation, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So all that you can really do is tell the truth, be honest, you know, be, be straightforward, uh, just, you know, lay the cards out as, as, as they are. Uh, you know, and I, I, I don't know, we have a whole political party which is devoted to tearing down the news media. And a big part of it is now enthralled to uh, a conspiracy theory, uh, Q, QAnon, you know, which is absolutely bonkers. You know, they're, they're claiming that oh, Democrats, Democratic elite and Hollywood elite are sexually abusing children and then eating them. That's nuts, that's crazy. So how do you, how do you, how do you get to those people? I don't know. Right. Uh... I, I want to ask you to this because because the Salt Lake Tribune um, is the first major newspaper in the country to uh, be a nonprofit and to, and to go to nonprofit status as a 501c3. Um, that's a recent development, just the beginning of this year that that really uh, went into effect. As I mentioned, I'm on the inaugural board, but there will be board members beyond me and the Salt Lake Tribune will outlast both of us. Um, what Hopefully. Do you believe that's true? What do you think the future of the Salt Lake Tribune is? <laughs> Nobody really tells me a whole lot about, you know, what's going on in the upper reaches of management. Uh, but the Salt Lake Tribune is necessary. Um, you know, it was established, by the way, we're almost 150 years old. I think coming up in April is when we actually hit the, the birthday. Um, the, the, the Salt Lake Tribune was instituted 150 years ago as a counterweight to the church. And you need that voice, even now, um, to provide news. My grandfather used to get the Desert News and the Tribune, because he said, I wanted to get the Desert News for church news, and I want to get the Tribune for the facts. <laughs> well, th this is kind of my point overall, uh, as I think about the future of the Tribune, and really the future of local newspapers and, and, and journalism in the future. And you're, you're seeing what's happening across the country. You must be concerned about that as I am, how many local newspapers are folding, how many journalists are losing their jobs across the country, and thinking about the role of a newspaper in 2020, the role mm -hmm. of local journalism in 2020, and whether or not we should have partisan newspapers on, on either side, or whether we should have uh, news organizations that just lock, arm with, lock arms with the community and tell their stories and help them you know, communicate their concerns to those in power. It does seem as though, I think you would agree with this, and you, you kind of just said it, um, that the Salt Lake Tribune uh, views itself as kind of like a left-leaning counter to not, the Desert not, News. Not, you, not, not exactly what I said. Oh, yeah, yeah, but well, correct me where I'm wrong there. <clears throat> okay, the, uh, the Salt Lake Tribune is not an organ of a church or a political party um, or of some other vested interest. Right. It is a newspaper which is dedicated to getting local news, informing the public. That's just what we do. Um, you know, some people view us as being left-leaning. Uh, you know, the reporters, when they cover a story, <clears throat> Uh, they do their best to be objective and to get you the facts. Um, a lot of people think that's left-leaning. <laughs> who, who is it who said uh, truth has a liberal bias? You don't view it as left-leaning. 
Oh, the reporting that we do? The Salt Lake Tribune as a whole, as an institution. I think the editorial page is a little left of center, just a little bit. But the news side, no, there is no political bias. Yeah. Um, so you recently were named the National Editorial Cartoonist of the Year by the National Cartoonist Society, which is a major honor. Uh, oh, yeah. when, when you got that award, what was your reaction when you first learned that you'd received that? Well, I knew that I was, had been nominated because there were three of us that were in the, uh, had been selected as the nominees. This is way back, you know, back in February, I knew this. Um, and because of coronavirus, they had to put off the convention and they just got around to announcing the winner um, just last week. And the thing is, I did not enter the, the contest. Somebody took the time to put my name out there. And the other two cartoonists were, this is kind of sweet. The other two cartoonists were conservative cartoonists. So um, that felt pretty good to, to win over these two guys. Uh, it was unexpected. I didn't expect the, the, this honor, um, but uh, you know, thanks to my colleagues, my peers who voted for me, uh, just, here I am. With so much controversy and everything seemingly on fire all over the place, both within the state of Utah and, you know, we're 43, 42 days away from election as, as you and I are talking. Um, how do you choose every day what you're going to draw and what that focus, the focus of that cartoon is going to be? Like, how do you pick just one thing? <laughs> well, it is like drinking from a fire hydrant. Uh, you know, I'm old, enough, I'm old enough to remember when there were news uh, deserts, and usually August would be that kind of month. Uh, but with Trump uh, in the White House, there is so much news, and um, it's just hard to pick. Um, but there's no lack of things to talk about. I have to remind myself that I'm mostly here to cover local issues. Uh, I could do a cartoon about Trump every single day, um, but I'd rather do a lot of issues where it will have an impact on the local community. Um, and, you know, like I said before, you know, I, I think about things and I think I should be commenting on this. How do I want to approach it? What do I want to say about it? How do you think, as, as someone who's following the news closely and commenting on it uh, through your cartoons, that the state of Utah has done in response to COVID-19? Uh, well, early on, Utah was lucky and we had kept the numbers down. We crushed the curve and I think we spiked the football too early. And there was a lot of pressure from business interests to open up. And so they did. And what we have now is a thousand people a day reporting uh, being infected with coronavirus. Um, we didn't keep the lockdown on long enough, and we also didn't take it seriously enough. And, uh, you know, I, I have to blame Trump for, for doing that. He called it a hoax. Uh, he's ridiculed mask wearing. Um, this could have been controlled, and it didn't have to be, didn't have to be this way. How do you think it becomes something like a pandemic, a coronavirus, right? How do you think something like that becomes political locally? I hear what you're saying around mm -hmm. Trump making it political nationally, but, but how does that get politicized locally? I mean, we're even seeing it uh, in the difference of the counties that border each other between Utah County and Salt Lake County, and their responses have been uh, vastly different. So even at like a very, very local level, it seems like this a pandemic, a coronavirus, right? That mm -hmm. uh, politicians can't control. I mean, there's no sides. Nobody's pro-coronavirus, I would hope. Um, so how does it become political? Well, that's what it becomes a pandemic. Uh, you know, they get bad information and they just run with it. Uh, you know, it's somehow become a political statement to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And I think pretty much anywhere else in the world, it's not political. It's, you know, if you want to crush the curve of this disease, you have to wear a mask. You have to be respectful of others. You got to do social distancing, you know, wash your hands, all those things. Um, it's a disease. It doesn't care what politics we have. It doesn't care if we're a Democrat or Republican. Um, and like I say, bad information has gotten out there. And that's why you have the outbreak in uh, Utah County. Um, Jesus, two kids who put on that dance party, you know, and apparently they're responsible for hundreds of people catching this disease. And it's because they're dumb. Just, they're just dumb. Well, those two people actually run a company called Young and Dumb. 
Yes. So, so they did warn us. They did title themselves um, uh, appropriately. <laughs> if if yeah. we are going to call yeah, them that, right? I do wonder. Uh, you, you. I know that you have. You know, following the the uh, law enforcement cartoon that caused controversy again, caused protests, has caused you know a lot of uh, you know the Speaker of the House rebuked you here in the state of Utah. A lot of you know various um, officials. Uh, I know that you have met with law enforcement since uh, that cartoon was published. Um, how have those conversations gone? Oh, it's uh, very well. Uh, I was contacted by um, Bruce Champagne, what great name, uh, of the Utah Peace Officers Association. And he was part of the organization who decided not to issue some kind of statement. Instead, they thought they would talk to me. So uh, we had a conversation. And I explained that the cartoon was not about all cops. That it's not saying that all cops are racist. And um, and then we had him on just yesterday on Trip Talk, and you know we kind of talked about this too. Uh, and I was able to issue a statement through his organization saying, "This is what I was thinking. This is why he did it." Um, and the conversation was great. You know, I'll be attending. There's a civilian seminar in policing that they do every so often. And I'll be going down to Orem October 19th to attend this. And I'll have lots of questions and, you know, hopefully uh, we'll have another good conversation. How often do you get down to Orem, Pat? Almost never. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you are such a major figure in the state of Utah. And again, I, I see you as an institution within the Salt Lake Tribune. You've been there for, for so long. Um, and, and, you know, I know that you think about each cartoon and kind of, you know, being able to defend it. But do you think of like kind of the power that you hold personally, even beyond the Salt Lake Tribune, to shape a narrative and to shape a conversation? And does that weigh on you at all? Or do you view that as something that you just have to set aside and, and draw what you feel is appropriate? Well, <clears throat> I mean, if I'm doing that national cartoons, uh, I'm just another pebble in a landslide. You know, I'm not going to make that much difference. But if it is a local issue, um, then yes, I have an opportunity to um, uh, make, make, make a change. Uh, there, were, there was a couple years ago that the legislature at the last minute passed this law, which is going to make it difficult to get information. And uh, we found out about it. And I did cartoons, we did editorials, and they backed down. Um, so, you know, locally, I can have more of an impact than I can nationally. Now, having said that, I think that there is that one cartoon out there that would absolutely destroy Trump. So every day I wake up and I think, let me find that cartoon. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. That way you think there's a cartoon that will eventually just bring him down, the cartoon itself. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's uh, Plato's Cave. It's out there. You know, it's, it's the ideal. Keep striving for it, my friend. Keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about that, you know, uh, cartoon that caused so much controversy with law enforcement. I uh, just, just personally appreciate you being willing to talk to law enforcement. I know that, you know, no one um, within the Salt Lake Tribune mandated that you do any of this. And so uh, you've taken this up uh, on your own is, is fantastic. And, and again, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your views with, with our audience. Well, it's been a lot of fun, Clint. Take care. Thanks so much. See ya. Tanner, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you've had an interesting week. You've had an interesting past few months, to be honest. Uh, Utah County seems to continue to make national news. And as a lifelong Utah County resident, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about some of the news we're making. I do know that Utah County is better than Salt Lake County. I think you agree with that. Uh, and so, you know, any of the Salt Lake County people who... Uh, you know, attack us uh, for making national news. Uh, just remember, we're always going to be better in Salt Lake County. Uh, but this week, you announced a mask mandate, you and Nathan Ivey, as well as the uh, Utah Department of Health, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, tell us about uh, your mandate and why you felt it was appropriate. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Clint. You know, this is an interesting, obviously, it's been a process, like you said, that the last few months, not just eventful for Utah County, this has been a crazy time for, for all of us. 
you know, throughout the country. And, you know, I think in the county, we have, we've been following the data the whole time. We've been trying to figure out um, the best way to manage this. And, and I've really looked to the state task force. You know, I, th I feel like they have always um, really prioritized both things. You know, one of the things I've appreciated is they, they've never set the goal of having zero cases of COVID-19. That would be, you know, an unrealistic goal. They, they tried to balance kind of the economic issues here and the human and health issues. And fortunately, throughout this, this crisis, we've had one of the most healthy economies and the lowest level of hospital utilization. And I think that's a, a fairly good place to be. And, you know, we had a, a post kind of Memorial Day spike. And at that time, really everyone in the community doubled down on the emphasis of wearing masks. Um, I was a, a big supporter of it at that time. The whole point is if we're going to reopen and resume activities, we need to be wearing a mask. And, you know, we had our religious organizations and business community all come in and support that. But really the state task force, even at that time, did not push us to make a mask requirement. And so we've been following the data and really throughout this whole time, Utah County has not had a disproportionate number of cases, despite our different approach here compared to, for example, Salt Lake County. Um, and so they've really maintained a lot of credibility, at least in my eyes, of not necessarily overreacting and, and trying to balance this and, but really this, this most recent spike over the last few weeks is very concerning. And when, when the, all of the members of the task force reiterated that to us and we saw that our rate was 5.4 times greater than the rest of the state, um, that's the first time where the data suggested we needed some immediate intervention and the hospital community were asking us to do so. And, and so I was happy to jump in and issue this call to action for, for our entire community. What do you attribute, or those you've spoken to at the health department and at the task force, what do they attribute Utah County's spike to? Um, well, there's no question that two major events happened kind of leading up to this spike, right? We have large families in Utah County and sending all of our kids back to school K through 12. Um, and the associated extracurricular activities that, that tend to happen when you do that. And then secondly, of course, two major universities of all the college age kids coming back into town, living in, you know, close quarters, you know, relying on common facilities for their day-to-day -day life, that's going to have an impact. So um, I think that is a major contributor and the data is, you know, but I think one thing that's important that they point out is it's not, it's not isolated there. And that's, that's the biggest problem is, yeah, are younger kids healthy? And maybe they're not going into the hospitals as much and not having severe symptoms. Absolutely. But unfortunately, we are already seeing it spread out of that demographic group into the entire county, outside of Provo and Orem, into the older demographic. And that's where it's incredibly concerning because, you know, that could start to put some pressure on our hospital system. If I'm not mistaken, uh, UVU has the largest student population in the state. I believe the m more students go to UVU than, than any other university in the state, and then obviously BYU. So you, not only do you have two major universities, you have large, I mean, that's a large student population on both sides. Um, and so I imagine that's what's causing a lot of this, as you just said. And then you've got what's made the news a lot is these um, kids. I don't even know if this is true or if this is one of the things that could be attributed to the spike or not. It seems like it's probably a variety of different things. I mean, we've had rodeos in Utah County. We've had farmers markets. We've had protests. We've had all these different things. But one of the things that seems to have gotten a lot of media attention is these parties that are being thrown by this uh, – uh, young and dumb company is what they call themselves young and dumb uh, what it, do you, I mean are they could they possibly be responsible for the spike uh, and warrant the type of coverage they're receiving currently or is it um, kind of everything that we just mentioned I, I think it's I think it's everything when I speak to the state task force they're not singling out a particular group you know I think that Kwaku you know, um, because he made some particular kind of statements, um, you know, after being singled out, you know, I think he naturally made some statements that kind of drew more attention. And then I think the name, which by the they obviously have had for much longer than this pandemic, I think, 
you know, kind of drew some, some more attention uh, being young and dumb. But um, I think that it is an example though of the types of activities. You know, I've actually, I've spoken with Kwaku and um, he was very reasonable in this conversation with me. And, and really he kind of pointed out some other social events that are sur surrounding the universities that could be contributing to this as well. And, you know, it's, so, so there's a lot of it, but, but we do need to draw attention to that. I think that the universities initially had a great plan to control their learning environments. And that's kind of, because that's what they can influence most directly. And then they quickly kind of realize that, okay, that once the kids are out of class, you know, they, they've got to live, you know, and it's not just people being reckless. I mean, it's just hard, you know, when you're in a situation where you're used to eating in a cafeteria every day and all of a sudden that changes um, and your entire kind of social structure is, is different. And so we've got to do a better job of providing those resources so that they can have safe opportunities. But those kind of off-campus social gatherings of college-age students is certainly a major contributor and why we're really trying to get through to that demographic that says, hey, we've got to wear masks, we've got to physically distance, um, because this spike, you know, can have some negative consequences. You're in an interesting spot as a Utah County Commissioner. For those who don't know and those who live in Salt Lake, or maybe you do know, because there's a campaign which I want to talk about um, here in a second regarding Utah's form of government, but Utah County's form of government. Utah County is currently governed by three county commissioners, of which you are one. Nathan Ivey is another who um, lost his reelection bid, and so there's a, there's a new person coming in there. I, I, what's the new guy's name? Tom Sakovich is the Republican nominee. Yep. Tom Sakovich is the Republican nominee. That election will be held. Very likely that he's going to uh, win that seat. And then uh, Bill Lee uh, is, is the third one. And as I mentioned at the top of this uh, interview with you, uh, you and Nathan Ivey in the Utah County Health Department issued this mask mandate. Bill Lee came out in opposition to it said it has no teeth, can't be enforced, he's opposed to it, doesn't think it makes sense. He put a whole letter, everybody can go read it. What is your response to Bill Lee? You know, I mean, Clint, for me, I, I don't really want to get into um, the anything that's divisive about this. I mean, the reality is, if you look at Salt Lake County, you look at Summit County, they've actually issued zero criminal violations um, for the mask mandates. This is about us coming together as leaders and trying to set a clear expectation for the community that says, hey, when, and it's not when you're in your car by yourself. It's not, you know, when you're with your family members, but when you're in public and you can't physically distance, just wear a mask. And so I, I think that, you know, there, there are examples of people who have a different viewpoint and object to these. You know, America Fusi comes to mind who, you know, when she whenever she may have objected to a mandate, she still went out of her way to be a part of this discussion of, of encouraging everyone to wear a mask. I think that's probably the most healthy way to maybe disagree with, with this requirement and just say, hey, you know, I disagree with that, but this is important for us all to wear masks. I think that's probably the healthiest way to do it. Sure, and you're being very diplomatic, which uh, is, is uh, good, um, I guess. Uh, and... But Bill Lee is the guy that a lot of people, according to media reports and folks in Utah County, um, kind of organized the back to school uh, meeting that made national news where parents were upset that their uh, children would have to, um, you know, wear a mask when they go back to school. They packed the Utah County Commissioner's um, office or whatever you call that thing where you, where you guys do your business. And, um, you know, you had to shut down the meeting. You and Nathan shut down that meeting because of that. And, and um, so, so uh, there's a lot of folks in Utah County, obviously, who support Bill Lee's position. And there are a lot who do not. And, um, you know, I, which brings me to this discussion around Utah County's form of government. And, yeah. and Clint, just, just on that, though, I think that's what I was trying to highlight is there's a difference between uh, of the finer point of saying, hey, you know, I just can't get there on the mandate piece. I mean, quite frankly, that's where um, Nathan Ivey has, has been as well. And just this most recent crisis got both of us to say, you know, it's time to do this. There's a difference between that and giving place for, you know, all of this division and, and 
where there's a group of people that want to say we shouldn't be wearing masks at all and they're useless and uh, that it doesn't help. And, and that's, that's the unfortunate kind of part of, I think, that meaning. And, and I think it's unfortunate if there's elected officials that still, they want this, even if they know that masks work and they try to say that we'll support it, you, you don't want to be trying to still win the support of this group that's kind of detracting from public health. Yeah, and and speaking of the uh, kind of the right now with two votes, Utah County Commission can kind of do whatever they want, right? Um, but under a certain extent, and obviously there's all sorts of caveats inside of that. Uh, there is a group and there is on the ballot this uh, November, this push to change Utah County's form of government to a mayor council form of government, rather than just having three commissioners. Uh, which would, uh, a lot of people argue, maybe give some balance to things like uh, what Bill Lee's doing. And this uh, Tom Sakovich guy is, is another, um, uh, by all accounts, uh, Bill Wing of the party, right? Or Bill Wing of, of the commission, Bill Lee uh, Wing of the commission. What is your take on this uh, ballot initiative? I think it's important. You know, I think that this is a really good opportunity for voters who might be disengaged on other issues. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a big slug of our community who may not be particularly excited about, you know, some of the candidates that are on the ballot and frustrated with our politics. This is one that is not, has nothing to do with personalities, has nothing to do with either political party. It simply is the, what is the right form of government that can lead to kind of less dysfunction at the county level. And so, uh, and it's it's very unique. I mean, this is a once in a generation opportunity to kind of change the form of government. I, I think it's important, um, you know, Clint, I don't know how many companies that you work with have three member board of directors and they also make those three members co-CEOs. Um, yeah, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Doesn't work. It, it, it's just so there's a reason why you separate a board and a CEO. Uh, you know, there is this pol there's there's kind of large scale, high level policy making and key decisions. And then there's day to day accountability and someone to drive things forward. And, you know, that works in the business community. It also works in our federal government, our state government, city government. And for whatever reason, we haven't had that separation at county government. And I, I can tell you it's it is dysfunctional. Um, having to be one of three members. And it's, it's just hard. You, you can't really ever drive forward on the day-to-day -day stuff. So uh, we can get much more into it. You know, and, and if people are the listeners, you know, this is something that's been a part of Utah County for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, we have had a disproportionate share of dysfunction. Um, people can go Google our past commissioners and the issues they've had. And so, you know, this they said, well, what's the right way to fix this? And we pulled together a community uh, board, you know, the Good Governance Advisory Board that included um, members from elected office, um, academia, the private sector. You were a member of that board, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I'd appreciate your perspective as well. But ultimately, they did make the recommendation to switch to the form of government that's on this ballot initiative, which is Prop 9. Um, and it, there's also a lot more about it on betterutahcounty.com. And so, yeah, I'm a supporter of yes on Prop 9. So, yeah, just to give people some background on this, I was part of that. You called me and asked me to be a part of it. Uh, worst mistake of my life, being a part of it. So boring, my friend. Like, so boring being a part of this thing. Anyways, we all get through all the through the entire uh, process. We were meeting once or twice a week. It felt like a, we were meeting a lot. Um, meeting with all these different experts, bringing in a wide variety of different people, um, you know, both for and against this idea of uh, maintaining or expanding the commission or going to a mayor council form of government. But when it was all said and done, it became clear to everyone on the good governance committee board. It was a unanimous vote to uh, change the form of government to what it is today. Uh, I bring up Bill Lee again, because Bill, this was supposed to be on the ballot last year. And Bill Lee uh, uh, ensured that it wasn't. And so it's made it this year. Um, I'm not sure that it makes sense for me to highlight, you know, one way or another the way that went. But I can tell you as a member of that um, good governance board, it wasn't even close 
after after we saw all of the evidence and all of the facts presented um, to that board, uh, it was a unanimous decision to change the form of government. And can you tell people what that form of government would be? It's not the same as Salt Lake County, as I understand it. It's not. Um, so there's a few key. So the, the most fundamental changes are right now, there are three commissioners, as we talked about. We are both the legislative body and the executive body. And we also are all elected at large, countywide race, which we can get into that. There's some major problems with that. It changes to having a county executive or a county mayor who's elected countywide um, and they're full time. And then you switch to a five member county council that is the legislative body. And they would actually be elected by region. So this would be split up into five different regions throughout the county. So you'd have a little bit more of a local feel and representation for the first time than you took county. Because in theory, right now, you could have three commissioners all from Lehigh or all from Spanish Fork. And, and historically, some residents have been concerned about that. So this ensures some more diverse representation. Um, and so those are the most fundamental differences in the change. Well, if all the county commissioners were from, from Spanish Fork, I would not be in support. Uh, I can tell you that much right now. Nobody in Spanish Fork makes a poor decision, never has. Um, but yeah, I, I'm in, in all seriousness, uh, uh, if people want to learn more about that, go to better county, betterutahcounty.com. Um, finally, my last question for you, Tanner, which, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking is, what if Utah County's uh, COVID-19 rates continue to rise, um, even with the mask mandate? What, what's on the table at that point? Well, I mean, we all just need to continue to, to manage this. Now, case counts, again, we, we have to look at the, the data in totality. Case counts are just one part of it. And I know that we're going to, one of the interventions right now is that we're going to focus on providing more testing and trying to shorten the lines with testing. And so we could see case counts spike, but we got to make sure that we're looking at the rate of growth, that we're looking at the positivity rate, um, hospital utilization. Um, that is the one where we don't want to get close to, right? And, and actually right now we're not. It's just that these case counts on the front end are suggesting that if this were to continue, it could have a material effect on our hospital utilization. So right now only Provo and Orem have gone to the orange level. Um, you know, the governor has suggested that if we don't see some improvement, if that orange could go countywide. I think that would be the first intervention. Um, there are other ways to dial it back and, you know, we've all been through it and we, we hope we don't have to go backwards. Uh, but but really, I think we are focusing on that hospital utilization number, and we've just got to protect our healthcare workers in that capacity, especially as we go into the colder months, where there's likely going to be an uptick in utilization for other reasons and for other illnesses. And so um, we're going to be watching that very carefully. And that's why I just hope that all of us as a community, regardless of maybe how you feel about this requirement or other things, you'll, you'll wear your mask you'll physically distance, you'll make responsible decisions and uh, try to slow this as soon as we can. And again, for those who uh, care about Utah County, live in Utah County, know about Prop uh, 9, which is this initiative, uh, you, you vote yes on Prop, not, Prop 9, you're in favor of a change of government, you vote no, you're against it. There's more details on there on betterutahcounty.com. No matter where you fall in, in that, uh, I think that's probably worth at least checking out. Seems like a, an important decision for Utah County residents. Tanner, thank you so much for coming on, my friend, and we'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Hey, good to be with you, Clint. Congressman, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Good to be with you, Clint. Thanks again for having me back. Tell me what's going on up in Washington, D.C. right now. What's the well, I'll tell you, Yeah, I'll tell you both good and bad. I think for me, on, on some of the legislation I've been working on personally, it's actually been a really great week. On Monday, I passed a bipartisan bill that I've been working on with Representative Anthony Gonzalez out of Ohio. It's called the Stifle Act. And what the Stifle Act does is it works to protect uh, victims from illegal trafficking. Uh, so what we're doing... Uh, Anthony Gonzalez and I are both on the uh, Financial Services Committee. So what we're trying to do with this legislation is to target the um, transnational financial networks, some of this, uh, these dark markets where money will flow 
and you know, there's one thing that all types of trafficking have in common, whether it's human trafficking, drugs trafficking, wildlife, organ trafficking, and that's they have to use some of these illicit financial networks to move money around. And so we are uh, going to be working with uh, uh, federal uh, governmental financial institutions and banks and others to help to identify some of the patterns in, in trafficking. And then by doing that, hopefully shut down some of the trafficking. So I think it'd be a value, this will be a valuable new tool for, uh, for law enforcement to help to stop illegal trafficking and, and to target the dark, uh, dark markets. Um, I passed a bill uh, yesterday to work on uh, bringing down veteran suicide. So, uh, you know, one of the things we know is we're starting to understand suicide risk and what puts somebody at a, a disproportionate risk of, of death by suicide that, you know, certainly there are factors we're all aware of, uh, trauma, uh, substance abuse, behavioral and mental health, but there are other factors that seem to be at least correlating to some extent that we don't understand well. Altitude seems to be correlated with higher suicide risk. Air pollution are things that seem to be correlated with higher suicide risk. So I just passed legislation to direct the National Institutes of Science and Health to, uh, to uh, study and to help us better understand how altitude contributes and in what way it may contribute to to a veteran's risk of suicide and hopefully to bring down risk of, of suicide for our veterans. And uh, then I uh, introduced legislation, it's called the Faith in Congress Act, trying to restore what's broken about Washington. And uh, it does certain things like uh, takes away this automatic pay increase for members of Congress, which I think is, is ridiculous. I would actually prefer to, you know, if Congress can't do basic things like pass a budget, um, keep the government open, Congress doesn't deserve a pay increase by, by no means. And so uh, it's to end this practice of, of uh, automatic pay increases. And I, was, I rallied people in this Congress to stop the automatic pay increase and to, uh, to I, you know, I don't think Congress has earned a, a pay increase. So we stopped a pay increase at Congress, but we should, should never be on autopilot. Um, things like no budget, no pay, that if, there's, if Congress doesn't adopt a budget, it shouldn't get a paycheck at all. Um, we, banning things like first-class travel, that members of Congress can't travel at first class, um, a ban on lobbying by former members of Congress, and then um, really to, to put bipartisan bills where people are coming together like Representative Gonzalez and I did on this anti-trafficking bill, um, that you get kind of a bonus. Those bills go to the front of the line in consideration and really want to encourage people working across the aisle, finding bipartisan uh, sponsorship of bills, and that when you do that, it's, a, it's an added benefit. So those are some of the things we're working on to fix a broken Congress. I said uh, it was kind of a mixed week. So while I, on, on some of the legislation I've, worked, I've been working on, it's been a good week. Um, I just have to say that I'm, I'm frustrated overall that Congress, again, we passed a, a continuing resolution this week to avoid a government shutdown. Um, but that is really just doing the bare minimum. Uh, we, a continuing resolution is uh, to just uh, extend the current budget through the end of the budget year and, and into the future, but it's not passing a budget. It's not being deliberative and deciding where we're spending, where, what our priorities are. It's, uh, it's to continue momentum of the past into the future. And, uh, you know, so we passed a continuing resolution. Yay us. We didn't shut down the government, but it really is kind of rock bottom of what we should do. And, um, and it's punting on, on not passing a budget. So, uh, that's disappointing to me, and uh, uh, it looks like there is there's not going to be a deal this week on a COVID package. As the country is suffering, as Utah is seeing our case numbers increase with COVID, um, and a lot of hardship on small businesses and startup businesses and uh, uh, struggling families uh, to to get through this crisis economically and health wise, um, Congress failed to come together in a bipartisan deal to uh, to implement a plan to slow the spread of the virus and to and to help give a lifeline to people who are really struggling right now. What's the holdup there on the COVID-19 relief bill? You know, I think there's the holdup's a couple of things. First of all, I, I think in classic Washington fashion, the debate has centered around the House. The House passed the HEROES Act in May, uh, and it was a $4 trillion package. The Senate actually has not passed anything, but they've been talking about about a half a trillion dollar package. And so the holdup seems to be a debate about how much we're gonna spend. And look, I see, I see both sides of the argument, to be honest. Um, if, if we don't 
stabilize our economy and, and give businesses what they need and families what they need to get through this crisis, uh, there's not going to be an economy to stimulate once the virus is behind us, once we have a, a, a cure, once we have a, a vaccine, uh, there's not going to be an economy to stimulate. The last thing we want is to, to have a vaccine and, and be to the point that we're ready to put the virus behind us and find boarded up shop windows, bankrupt businesses, and sky high unemployment. That's, uh, that is going to be really bad for the national debt if, if things just, if the economy goes off a cliff. But at the same time, that shouldn't be an excuse to spend money wildly. You know, anything we spend today, we're going to have to, somebody's going to have to pay for it. I think it's going to be us and it's going to be our kids that are going to have to pay for that. And so we should do what we need to do to get through this crisis, to both manage and slow the spread of this virus, and then to give a lifeline to small businesses and families that are struggling uh, so we can get through this crisis. But we shouldn't do everything. We should, do, we should do what we need to do, but we shouldn't be throwing money at everything. And so uh, I thought that the $4 trillion package was too much. I actually voted against my own party and voted against that bill when it passed in May. But doing nothing is, I think, just as bad as spending $4 trillion. Congress needs to come together. We need to find middle ground and, uh, and, and to get a deal done. And we haven't done that. And again, another week goes by uh, when I think uh, I think Washington has, has failed the American people. And that, that's disappointing to me. I put forward, I joined with a group of Republicans and Democrats, the problem solvers is, is what we're called. Uh, we worked together to try and break this logjam. The problem solvers put together a package that was in the middle. Uh, it actually just uh, got ignored kind of by both sides. For, for those who want a $4 trillion package, they said it was too little. For those who want a half a trillion dollar package, it was too much. I think we need to stop debating a number. And we, well, the way that the path forward for me is to come around a plan and to say, okay, our goals are to slow the spread of the virus and stabilize the economy. Everybody agrees on that. Republican, Democrat, House, Senate, we agree that that's what we need to do. What is the plan? Not, don't tell, give me a dollar amount, give me a plan and tell me what the elements of the plan, of the plan are and then tell me what it's going to cost. And we may decide that we can't afford this or, but this is critical. We have to afford that. And, uh, but let's start with a plan and then look at the price tag with, you know, always keeping in mind that we have to act in a fiscally responsible way, uh, both to stabilize the economy, but not spending too much um, and, uh, and move forward with the plan in that sense. And, and I, I just think that we're having the wrong debate as Washington often does. And, uh, and then finding ourselves in gridlock with, uh, and frozen and not able to do anything. And I think, it's, I think it's, really, it's really frustrating and something I'm really disappointed about. I think we should do better. And problem solvers put a plan on the table. I, uh, uh, you know, that's a group that I work very closely with and applaud them for at least trying to break the logjam. There were things I didn't like in the, even the problem solvers plan. But um, at the end of the day, we got to work together. We got to move forward and uh, we got to find something that we can all agree on and we can get to the president's desk for a signature. Another thing you mentioned, you know, the debate raging up there in D.C. Uh, another thing that's caused that is the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, our uh, senator and your colleague, um, Mitt Romney, uh, kind of officially stated this week that he would push forward with a vote for, for the nominee uh, that, that Donald Trump puts forward, President Trump puts forward. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. It appears that President Trump is going to make that announcement of who his pick is on Saturday. So when people are watching this on Sunday, they'll already know who the pick is. So how do you feel? And obviously the House doesn't have a role in this process. But overall, how are you feeling about the passing of Justice Ginsburg and the debate that it's uh, kicked off? Yeah, well, let me just first say, so I, I finished work last night, uh, finished in my office about 9 p.m. and I left to walk home to my apartment. And uh, I, I, I went a little bit out of my way and walked past the Supreme Court and there were lines blocks long of people going to uh, pay their respects to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I think, let me just pause before we talk about the politics of it to just say that Justice Ginsburg lived an, ama an amazing life. She lived a life of dedication and commitment. She made a lasting mark on the court and a lasting mark on an entire generation as a, you know, a husband and a father to a daughter and an amazing woman, uh, a, a, a husband to an amazing woman and a father to a, a teenager who's, who's trying to find her place in the world to have somebody like Justice Ginsburg who could, they can look up to, who 
rose to the highest levels of our government and lived an admirable life and, and provided service. Whether you agree or disagree with her, she was an amazing person. I'm happy and, and uh, thankful for her contributions and our nation mourns her passing. Uh, so as you know, uh, and I'm sure your listeners know, the House doesn't have any role on whether to vote to confirm federal judges and Supreme Court justices. That is entirely something that the Constitution has, has delegated to the president to nominate and then the United States Senate to confirm. So the president has a constitutional prerogative to nominate a justice, and, then, and he, he will do that by the time this podcast is made public. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and the Senate then is going to have to decide whether or not to confirm that nominee. So, you know, there, I think there are two questions in that. The first question is, do they do it before the election? And uh, that seems to be, uh, you know, there seems to be a sufficient number of, of senators who have said, yes, they, they are ready to do that uh, before the election. And the second question is, is the person who the president qualifies uh, nominate the president, the person who the president nominates qualified for the job. And that's, you know, that's an important function of the United States Senate to vet a candidate, to interview a candidate, and, uh, and then to make that determination. So, uh, you know, Senator McConnell previously said that it was a bad idea to confirm a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Obviously, he's changed his mind on that. Um, but we're gonna have to see how this process plays out. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, our, our senators are uh, now we'll have the task of, of vetting a justice and, uh, and voting whether or not to confirm. So another thing that's happened this week that's caused, you know, riots in particular in Louisville um, is the grand jury indictment or lack of an indictment on the um, three police officers given the, uh, uh, you know, the Breonna Taylor case and the, and that situation. Uh, there was one officer indicted. It wasn't, um, uh, in response to or uh, because of uh, the killing of Breonna Taylor, it was because, um, you know, he shot too many bullets or something like that. I'm not entirely sure, but, but the indictment, the wanted police officer was indicted. It wasn't for the, uh, it wasn't for murder of, of Breonna Taylor. And so we're seeing uh, protests and riots and uh, destruction uh, in, in Louisville and, you know, across the country, given that. Uh, what is your response to that? Well, let me let me just first say, uh, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, clearly we're in Utah, not Kentucky, and so not uh, intimately familiar with the facts of the case, and and not in a position to judge the whether it was proper or not to, um, you know, the the charges or or were whether they what was proper and whatnot. So I'm not in a place to maybe second judge that. But let me just say, I think we are in a political time that is incredibly divisive. And, um, and sometimes I think oversimplified. And as somebody who is a moderate, who's, who's you know, uh, maybe it's because my, I'm a middle child. Uh, my parents had six kids and I'm a middle child. I'm able to, I, I, I look to all sides and try and understand uh, a challenge from, from all sides coming at it. And I, look, I have to say, I think, first of all, I'm a mayor. I'm a former mayor when I was mayor of Salt Lake County before serving in Congress and worked alongside law enforcement. And the law enforcement officers who I worked with are men and women who love our community and they serve because they want to make our community a better place and, and a safe place. And, and they care about the job they do and they care about making sure that every person in our community is treated fairly and equally. And, um, and I think we can recognize that and honor members of law enforcement for the job that they do. At the same time, I think we can also recognize that um, we still have more to do as a country. We've come a long way. And, uh, and come a long way in recognizing the sins of our past, the sins of slavery and discrimination and segregation. And uh, we're working to put those things behind us. We've, you know, we've put many things behind us and we've come a long way. And I think we can celebrate the progress that we've made as a country and be proud of that progress. And we can also recognize that we have more to do, that many Americans today do not feel treated equally by their government. And, uh, and in some cases are not treated equally and fairly in society. And uh, I think it falls to all of us to continue to work and to give a commitment to, you know, the, the American experiment is one that is up to all of us. And to, if we are going to create that more perfect union that our founders described, it really is the responsibility of each and every one of us. And so um, I think it is important to say that, uh, you know, I support the right of free speech 
of anyone to say anything they want, whether I agree or disagree with what's being said, but also that violence and vandalism is not speech. And for people who are committing acts of violence and committing vandalism and making our cities unsafe, um, they should be prosecuted under the law. And, uh, but we do have a conversation and a commitment to be part of this conversation to um, address unfairness that may exist in society and, you know, I, I, you know, as a father of four kids, I want to have my kids have the best opportunities available to them. But I also want to know that uh, the kids down the street, the neighbors, their friends also have those same opportunities. And that is something that each and every one of us can do and should do is to make our place, a, uh, make our country a more perfect union and to make sure the doors are open for anybody uh, who will stand up and walk through them. You're in the middle of a hotly contested race here in the state of Utah. It seems like the 4th Congressional District is always a hotly contested race. Um, and you're running against Burgess Owens. Um, as I've been watching sports this week, uh, I'm seeing ads both ways for your campaign, uh, for, for his campaign, and Super PACs running ads um, on behalf of both of you. It seems like the, the campaign and the tone of it has turned a little bit negative. Do you agree with that? And how do you feel about it? Well, um, first of all, let me say how great it is that we can be watching sports. Uh, that's a, a nice uh, thing that's come back in this pandemic. You know, this, this is a, a close and, and closely con contested race. And uh, certainly, you know, campaigns are about differences of opinion. It's going to be about my track record, what I've accomplished as a, a member of Congress. And I hope people recognize that I'm a, a unifier, somebody who works to bring us together, to bridge our differences and, and try to tackle our problems by working together. And, um, you know, but, but campaigns are going to be out differences. Now, one thing that I, I, I will agree with you that these super PACs, and they're on both sides, there are super PACs that support Democrats and super PACs that support Republicans. Um, I, um, and candidates can't even talk to those super PACs. So I see their ads. Um, I don't have any role in, in those ads, but there are ads that are attacking me and ads that are supporting me and ads that are attacking my opponent. Uh, in a perfect world, I would love to see super PACs from all sides just go away and, and really have uh, the race focused on, on my message and my opponent's message. And so um, a lot of those ads, some of the worst ads that we see in the campaign are coming from those super PACs that um, are acting independently of, of either candidate. Um, for me, if you look at the ads that, that my campaign's putting forward, I'm talking about my track record as somebody who believes in fiscal responsibility, who believes in, in bringing us together and uh, that we should work together, Republicans and Democrats, to rise to the challenge of COVID and the economic fallout from this virus, uh, working to address things like uh, nuclear weapons testing, that I believe that we should not, uh, that the Trump plan to resume nuclear weapons testing in our backyard is a bad move and would have uh, disastrous consequences on on the health and safety of Utahns. And, you know, we're talking, and, and my opponent has supported the resumption of nuclear weapons testing in our backyard. And I think that's an important distinction for voters to be aware of and to inform their decision. And um, ultimately, you know, the the thing that I hope is people recognize my track record as Utah's most independent member of Congress, somebody who uh, will put the priorities of Utah ahead of anything else. Um, I'm, you know, as I said, the most independent member of Utah's delegation, but number two in the Congress is somebody who is, uh, who has shown in my votes, a willingness to, to, and a track record of voting against my own party and putting people of Utah ahead of my own party, uh, with my votes. And so I think, I hope people recognize that, um, my independence and my, uh, that I, I work hard and I work for the people of Utah and, uh, that's the commitment I, I've made you know, and, and track record I've shown when I was the mayor of Salt Lake County and as a member of Congress that I'm somebody who can reach across the aisle and recognize that there's good ideas on both sides of the aisle. There are bad ideas on both sides of the aisle. And my track record is someone who will work across the aisle to get things done, but I'm not afraid to go it alone if, and, and stand against both parties as I did when I uh, led the opposition to oppose a congressional pay increase uh, I'm not afraid to go against both parties to um, to do what's right for our country and for our state. What is your sense for Mr. Owens? You know, he seems like a seems like a, a nice gentleman. I've never met him, um, and uh, but I've talked to a few people who have met him. They say he's a 
a nice gentleman. And, uh, you know, I always respect anybody who's willing to throw their name out and, and run for office. It's, it's a difficult job to be a candidate. And I respect somebody who's willing to put their name on the line. Um, I, I think maybe the, the thing that I've seen from him that's a little bit disappointing is, um, is that, you know, he's quick to divide and quick to, to name call and, uh, and, you know, call the other, other side, you know, say that he's, you know, he said recently that uh, he's, he's not willing to work with the other side because he believes the other side is evil and hates our country. And, you know, I just, I don't, I don't see that. I see, I see people who have, I think, look, I think there are bad people in politics on both sides of the aisle, but I also know a lot of good people who are serving because they love our country. And, uh, and we're working to, to bridge our differences and to solve the challenges that our country faces. And we can't do it if we continually divide ourselves along partisan lines. We gotta be willing to put the American people first and, uh, and, and not be subservient to any political party or any uh, politi political figure. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Uh, and good luck out there on the campaign trail. Thanks, Clint. Great to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Please reach out to us at stateofutah@siliconslopes.com with any feedback or suggestions or guests you'd like to see on the show. We want you to think of this as your show, as that's how we think of it. Signing off this Sunday, my name is Clint Betts. Thank you for watching and have a good week.